0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Surge and Shelly. I'm Surge
1: and I'm Shelly and we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Surge and as always joined by my better-looking co-host Shelly. How is oh, it going, Shelly?
1: Surge, thanks so much. I do appreciate those warm introductions.
0: I'm just sucking up to you, Shelly.
1: <laughs> I don't know why because we're getting close to 200 episodes, I think this is going to stick. You know, the Serge and Shelley thing, it's going to stick. Serge, I want to introduce our guest today. Our audience is really going to be intrigued. I am very pleased to introduce Corey Berkey, who is the Senior Vice President of People and Talent at Employ Inc. Welcome to the show, Corey.
2: Thank you so much. It's so great to be here with both of you. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today.
1: I'd like to start when we have a guest on the show, we always ask about your journey in HR and a little bit about where you're working right now.
2: Sure. So I'll give you some early notes in a very compressed format. I started out in college with a focus in business management, specifically in operations. The more and more I got down the operations path, the more and more I went oh my gosh, I don't care how much inventory is in the warehouse, frankly. And I could not find really the thing that got me excited, really got me energized. I think that everybody is entitled to be passionate about what they do. And the more I got down that journey, the more I started to say the people are what fascinates me. And understanding how we motivate people and how we achieve results as a team, that's what's really interesting. So enter a pretty quick and rapid shift over to human resources management and economics. That's really what set the path forward. When I left school, I started out leading an HR function at an organization focused in the hospitality industry. I spent a few years there. I moved into a really unique opportunity that set the stage for where I am today. That role was focused on building out consulting services within a larger business. That was interesting to me because that was really an opportunity to spend my time across industries and across multiple different sizes of businesses. And that's a really unique component of my background that I I think has shaped the path forward. It's also where I got bit by the tech bug. One of my very first clients was a company called The Resumator. The resumator would go on to become Jazz, which would become Jazz HR, which is now a part of Employ. I always tell folks whenever they ask, How did you know this is where you wanted to be? I always say, When I started working with the resumator back in the day, I knew from very early on. In fact, conversation on my very first date with the woman I'm married to today was focused on how, you know, it was a group of really smart folks really well aligned on a part of business that I wanted to be a part of. HR tech was always underserved in my opinion. I wanted the opportunity to have an impact there. I told her then that if I ever got the opportunity to join the Resumator full-time, I would pack up my stuff and move to Pittsburgh and get started. That's exactly what happened. And you fast forward through many iterations of the Resumator and Jazz HR and now Employ, And it's been a really exciting journey with a lot of growth a lot of learning, and still some tremendous opportunity in front of us. It's only getting more exciting here.
1: What a walk down memory lane about reminding me of Resumator. I'd completely forgotten. Probably one of the worst names for a company I could ever think of. <laughs> I'm sorry, Corey, but honestly, it's just the dumbest name ever. Resumator. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: But they changed it, Shelly. So yes, Jazz exactly. HR Thanks is kind of fun, right? Very apropos. Corey, to dig in a little bit deeper, not a lot of people know what or who Employee Inc. is. For the audience, in 2019, Jobvite, and you could correct me on this, Jobvite acquired Jazz HR and also an RPO and recently acquired Lever. Can you give me a little bit of why the mix up of all these different ATS into one company? What's the story behind that?
2: 2019, there were a lot of acquisitions focused on the Jobvite business. It actually wasn't then that Jazz HR and Next Thing came on scene. That was actually in 2021 that we went through that process. 2019 was the aggregation of recruitment marketing and texting and internal mobility, to name a few. Fast forward to 2021, Jazz HR and Next Thing come on scene. And The real kind of magic that we were working towards there and were able to achieve was now there's this path where no matter what size business you are, no matter what your recruiting needs are, we have a software that supports it with the services component behind it. Next thing, RPO is incredibly unique and wildly successful. There are so many interesting things that they do to help their client base. And when we layer that with the software support, gosh, it becomes this really compelling offering to the market that nobody else has right now. Lever comes and fills a really interesting gap for us in that middle market because Jobvite is such a strong enterprise-level software solution. And Jazz HR is so focused on small businesses and the lower end of middle market. It lever really helps span that gap. And what we've done is created this full-service solution in Employee where no matter what size business you are today or you will be tomorrow, we have a solution that can help you grow your team, manage talent acquisition, find the right candidates, source great talent, and really understand how you're performing with a robust data and metrics solution underneath all of those offerings. And we really think that we're cracking the code on some secret sauce that will help us be successful as we go forward.
0: Thank you for clarifying that because I forgot Telemetry was part of 2019. You guys just acquired too many companies. I'm losing track here. Obviously, coming from the world of recruitment and managing teams and integrating different systems and processes together, how were you able to integrate several different companies to go out and create a talent acquisition model that works for you internally? I'm curious, which ATS do you use, first of all?
2: Do you drink your own Kool Aid? We drink all flavors of our own Kool Aid right now. I'll try and answer all components there. And if I need to come back and hit something harder, I'm happy to do it. Right now, we are using all of our own dog food, is what we're eating every day. Our talent acquisition team is small but mighty, and they are using all of our ATS solutions. In 2023, we will consolidate internally based on the recommendations that we would provide to a customer prospect of our size and characteristics. One more instance of eating our own dog food, we're gonna take a look at what we would recommend another business like us to use. We'll adopt that solution across all of our brands in 23, and then go down to a singular view. We're really excited for that. We've been able to achieve some pretty tremendous results through our talent acquisition team. They are the hardest working bunch in the TA space that I know. They're working diligently to make all of these systems work together and get candidates in front of the right groups within our organization. Maybe to put some perspective on this, we do operate our business units independently. There are shared services that span each of the brands. Lever still has the Lever sales team. jobbite yeah. still has the jobbite sales team, Jazz HR, respectively. What we did early on that paid in dividends is instead of having this brand-specific focus, which when we first brought the team together, that's how it was, there was the folks that recruited for JobVite recruiting for JobVite, sitting next to the folks recruiting for Jazz HR, for instance, we took this sort of functional area approach. And what that did was let us accelerate our efficiency incredibly quickly. And the result was, if you're a candidate and you apply to JobVite and you've got, say, no enterprise sales experience, that might not be the right sales role for you. But because the senior talent business partner who focuses on recruiting at Jobvite knows that and can help you identify that, they can present the opportunity at Lever or at Jazz HR that you are a great fit for. And so we're able to reduce our time to hire and also improve candidate quality by being able to help candidates raising their hand saying, I see myself at employee, we can say, let's help you find the right spot in employee versus hoping that they got in front of the right people and all the stars align perfectly. We de-risk that with our approach.
1: Brilliant. Can I just ask something here? We've skimmed over this, but we were talking about it in the green room. Once and for all, Corey, can you please tell us, is it properly pronounced lever or lever?
2: <laughs> That's the million dollar question. <laughs> Here's what my sources tell me, and they're very trustworthy because they come from lever. In Canada, they all say lever, and in the US, they all say lever, and they all have this mutual respect that depending on which okay. side of the border you're on, it's lever or lever. I consistently say lever, but I have reached the point now in working with the team where when they say lever, I have no pause. I just keep on rolling. It's a fantastic understanding that we've reached with one another.
1: Thank so, you, Corey. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, We want to dig into your quarterly reports. I don't know if you're aware, but we talk about your quarterly reports pretty frequently. And there's Mm -hmm. yours, there's AppCast, which we think is great. There's Indeed, just based on how much data. We just got the Q4 Insights report. We haven't talked about it in the show. Would love to get the key findings from you, if possible.
2: Yeah, sure. I'll tell you some of the things that I think have stood out to me. The fact that we're seeing 61% of the recruiters surveyed saying that hiring is believed to remain difficult in 2023 stands out. It's a little counterintuitive to some of the other narrative that we're seeing of what we think is going to happen economically. The other thing that is certainly noteworthy are the changes in new job postings and candidates per job. So the stats from the report are new job listings decreased 10.4% over Q2, whenever you look at the Q3 results, with a corresponding 13% increase in candidate flow. That's something that I think we take note of across employee. Mm -hmm. We've got this tremendous data power through the aggregation of all of our technologies. When we see those type of shifts, it's telling us something because for so often, customers would say, where are our candidates? Where are our candidates? Where are our candidates? And no matter how fast we could serve them, they were always hungry for more. And we can do it fast and we can do it efficiently and we can help you accurately get top tier candidates for what you're looking for. That's what our technology is designed to do. But this like almost insatiable desire for more, more, more candidates has been the narrative. And now we're going to see a little bit of shifting from where are my candidates to where are my candidates? quality candidates. I think that's going to be an important thing for us to look at as we go through the next 12 months.
0: So what do you think this says for the labor market? Do you feel that the labor market is going to slow down considerably next year? Or is this just a little bit of panic thinking there might be a recession coming? I don't
2: use the word considerably whenever I think about what should likely happen next year, what probably will happen next year. I'm very cautious around that. I don't think that it will be as significant as what we have seen in the past or what history will tell us, why do I feel that way? It's because our society, I won't say escaped a pandemic, but endured a pandemic. And we had to react differently during that era. And so that muscle memory is there. We just navigated a crisis that impacted the economy to a degree. I mean, it certainly impacted the way that we think about jobs and hiring and recruiting and running businesses. And that learning from that era where it was really in the dark days of 2020, you know, it's not the same playbook in surviving a recession or an economic downturn, but there are things that our leaders have taken from the how to survive COVID playbook and I think help us more successfully navigate the economic downturn that we are in and probably going to see you know, a little bit further decline. It's on us as leaders to understand how we reduce the impact on our organizations, how do we react and how do we... Do everything that we can to make sure that regardless of how deep the economy goes, we're able to come out with as few battle scars as possible.
0: It goes right to the next point of 50% of organizations are scaling back on hiring plans or implementing hiring freezes. Mm -hmm. Tells us a little bit how companies are feeling right now, right? Let's talk about quality of candidates because clients are asking for that. What's your definition of a quality candidate? What do they mean and how do we measure that?
2: Yeah, so that's a fair question. And I think one that we get asked a lot because of the reporting capabilities that we have Regardless of how sophisticated your business is or how big it is, what the scale is, there's always a definition for quality of candidate, but it very much changes. For our small business customers, you might look at six-month retention, 12-month retention, and that might be all you're told to be able to understand and interpret. As you get bigger and you get into mid-market, you get into enterprise, it's understanding things like time to productivity, which nobody really gets excited about measuring, but everybody should at least have some sort of understanding and what that looks like in your organization, how you compare. I also think that we can take a look at things like engagement after certain milestones. One of the interesting things that we used our internal data for long before we were part of employee just as Jazz HR was understanding at X point in the employment lifecycle, the likelihood of turnover declines significantly. X for us was actually like seven point something months. If we had a new hire stay on board and make it through that spin up period and get to productivity, The likelihood of turnover declines significantly. There's another drop-off point in that area around the three-year mark. And it's just interesting to be able to take the data, regardless of how sophisticated or not your business is, and determine what that looks like. In my mind, it's not the same as quality of hire, but it's related to how businesses think about what they do to improve it if you find a role that has a high churn rate on it, or you find that you're having a hard time keeping somebody who's quality in that seat, it's important for businesses to take a look at the profile of that candidate. What was different? What was the miss? And what would you look for as you go back out to market to refill the role? And really thinking about how you adapt to it becomes a critically important part of the conversation.
1: In this report, also the Q4 report, what I don't recall seeing, and that is around percentage of companies that are cutting budgets for posting on job boards. Can you shed a little more light on that? What are we seeing? What is that saying to us?
2: I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit with this one. So come along on the journey with me for a second, if you will. This actually ties back into the 50% of businesses are reducing their hiring roadmap and their approach there. I think a little bit of this is fear in market. A little bit of it is cyclical because whether it's Q4 and we're facing a recession or Q4 and things are at its prime, I've always found myself saying, gosh, we've gone this far. Do we need this role? Do we need to change our strategy? Do we need to revise? Or based on other things that have happened from a compensation perspective during the year, do we need to say, okay, well, this role is going to go into next year's roadmap? I think that job posting is a lot like that as well. I think that businesses are starting to scale back. I mean, one of the podcasts you all recently did talked about, should you be advertising at this time of year? I think, Shelley, it was your point of, yes, you should be. This is the time of year to get in front of candidates, new year, new me. That's very true. But I think a lot of businesses and a lot of financial decision makers say, nobody's going to be applying for jobs in December and are overlooking the value that you get by building brand equity at this time of year. That's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a challenge. This also ties back into the candidate volume stat That we talked about earlier, 13% increase in candidates probably has some businesses out there saying, well, I'm getting 400 candidates for the job, but that increases by 13%. That's significant. And I should be able to fill the role without having to spend dollars to advertise when in fact, we all know that that can create downstream challenges. For other talent acquisition goals that you might have, maybe it's related to DEI, maybe it's related to other components of what you're trying to do, but that certainly can create those challenges.
0: So using that stat of the increase of actual candidates per job, then looking at one of your data points here, that job seekers are still being selective with recruiters reporting that 40% or fewer job offers are accepted. That to me is shocking. I've led talent acquisition teams and I leverage sales training that you should be closing the prospect as you go through the process. And closing might not be the right word, but getting those triggers. When I saw that 40% of job offers are being accepted, is shocking. But then we're going in a market where there's going to be more candidates and mm-hmm. candidates are still not accepting jobs. There has to be a reckoning somewhere where companies need to fill jobs and job seekers need a job. So my question is, do we expect job seekers to be adjusting their expectation because it's going to be tighter competition? Instead of getting three job offers, they might just get that one or two. Do you expect those numbers to change going into next year?
2: Serge, I like the way you say a reckoning because I do think that we could get to that point, but I don't think we're there yet. And I don't, I don't think it's happening in the next three, six, maybe 12 months. And the reason for that is the offer acceptance stat is shocking. Um, The other thing, though, that stands out from the report is when we talk to talent acquisition teams, 44% of them are focused on improving the speed of the hiring process. A lot of this ties together because if we are closing throughout the journey, if we are being transparent about what to expect when that offer arrives in the very first stage, which a lot of businesses still don't do, I don't care what compensation laws have been passed businesses still don't handle compensation as transparently upfront as they need to be able to get to a high success rate. Those two things are tied together. As we get into 2023, what we will see happening is those highly skilled, perfect fit, quote unquote, candidates, the unicorns out there that we are all longing for to fill these particular roles, they're going to be able to be just as picky. They're going to be able to still get two, three, four offers. I still think that retention offers will be one of our biggest enemies in the talent acquisition space, at least into middle of 2023, depending on what happens with the economy.
0: Really good answer. One of the things that I was looking through your report, and I might've missed it, is return to the office. Is there any data about job seekers when it comes to working from home, going back in an office? How are they feeling according to your data? This
2: actually shows up as one of the big challenges from the report that we did. Whenever we ask what are the biggest challenges employers are facing today, not being able to work from home showed up in 27% of our responses. This is a topic that elicits a lot of emotion from folks. And we have a hard time seeing a lot of the workforce delineate between fully remote hybrid and fully in office opportunities i think what we will see as we go into 2023 is more of a push to spend time together to spend x days a week in the office things like that i mean it makes the news every time a big company does it when apple did it it was all over the news when chase did it it showed up everywhere we're going to continue to see that it actually ties back to the topic on how picky candidates can be right if this is a do or die criteria for a job seeker they still have some time that they can hold out on that but as more and more companies are focused on bringing their workforces together and i'm cautious to not say into the office just that sense of togetherness and community and building the culture organically as we start to see that become more and more of a focus point for businesses that will be one of the first criteria that gets hard to set your expectations against as a job seeker
1: can I just circle back on something we were just talking about? Because yes, your quarterly reports are like chocolate for me. I love the data, the surveys, understanding trends and trying to connect the dots. You know, when we talk about the 40% declined offer statistic or unaccepted offer, whatever you want to call it, I would consider that to be a recruiting skill set. Bail. Great talent acquisition people would never have a forty percent decline offer rate. Is there any connection to the sheer spike or demand in hiring talent acquisition? I believe that there might be some connection to how many people were hired who weren't recruiters, who weren't trained, who just believe all you got to do is throw offers out at people with no training or support, and now that's why we're seeing a forty percent job offers accepted. That, to me, is mind-blowing. Is there any data around that, Corey? I don't have any
2: stats that I can cite right off the top of my head about that particular item, but I will say that, you know, tying it back to the speed component of the challenges that were cited, and why are we still seeing such a poor response rate from candidates whenever we ask them about closing the loop? Why are we still seeing that candidates that are not selected for the role just like drift off into the darkness, never to be seen or heard from again? And I think that also is indicative of challenges with hiring folks for TA that didn't have the support structure, the onboarding that they needed to have to be able to be successful in the role. Because to Serge's point earlier, so much of talent acquisition is sales and marketing that is a key component of what it is we have a sourcer on our team she is fantastic she is data driven she eats it up and loves every nugget of data that she can get from those that she's reaching out to and she has a funnel It's not the same as the marketing funnel, but it's structured the same as the marketing funnel. And then our recruiters have the same mechanism in place. And that sort of disciplined approach is where I think a lot of organizations are lacking. 28% of teams out there say that their process takes too long. That being a challenge is a very fixable thing. You should not lose candidates because you're slow at hiring. That's despicable. 44% acceptance rate is despicable. There are so many things that we can do to refine our TA practices that get overlooked.
0: Looking at everything that's happened in 2022 and now looking at 2023, there is a lot going on in the world of work. There's a lot going on in talent acquisition. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, what do you think is going to be the biggest story in our industry next year?
2: That's a good one. Whenever it comes to talent acquisition specifically, it's sort of two related topics. The first one is going to be how do we make decisions around how our organizations are staffed? How are we using people to achieve goals? And then how does that layer into the workload and skill set needed in talent acquisition? The second piece of this is whenever it comes to talent acquisition, how do we make sure that we are optimizing our efficiency? Careful there not to say, how do we do more with less? Because I don't actually think it's about that all the time. Instead, I think it's about understanding how you can leverage numbers and data to be able to make intelligent decisions on what happens in your TA practice. And we talked about 44% offer acceptance. At employee, we're well over 90%. I would say we're actually close to about 94, 95%. We set goals where each of our TA folks have expectations on hires per month. And some people might say, hey, that's not the right way to look at it. Everybody's got a different lens that they want to look at this through. But what we found is when we set these expectations clearly and up front, we are thinking ahead in our process. We are setting goals that position us for success next month and next quarter. We are thoughtful about our recruiting roadmap. We're thoughtful about rec loads. We're thoughtful about what our strategies will be so that we can use all of this information to make intelligent decisions through the process to bring candidates on the journey with us make sure that it's fast we also put in place things like slas with hiring team members if you don't have that thinking about how you hold hiring team members accountable in the new year will also be something that plays into that efficiency because if the hiring manager or hiring team is banging on the table with the talent acquisition team saying i need more i need them faster." and then they sit on feedback for five days, you will lose a candidate from that behavior. It's not will we, it's going to happen, period. And so I think that those are going to be the big things that we see again, not doing more with less, but making sure that we're optimizing efficiency. And then how do we make decisions differently through a economically challenging future?
1: I love that. I absolutely do. I think having shared SLAs, Everybody has a responsibility to have your recruiting team doing everything they can to build a pipeline, to bring people into the organization. There needs to be accountability all the way around. It's those people we brought in being able to deliver on results as well. And I really admire that you've got that sort of structure within your talent acquisition team at Employee. I was just going to ask, Corey, because Mm -hmm. your company name is Employee, Do you feel that your TA team is held to a higher standard than anywhere else? Because you are in the business, for the business, and are the business.
2: Absolutely, that is the case. I also think that they take that in stride. and. They hold themselves accountable for that. We have a culture where we expect results and where we understand that we have to enable the team to achieve them. And every single member of our talent team has really embraced that mindset. And I will tell you, it is important to have SLAs. It's important to have executive buy-in for those SLAs. It's important to have leaders buy-in because here's the thing. I want hiring managers to call me and say, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on with the TA team. They've been relentless on giving feedback so that I can turn back and say, well, that's because you get 24 hours to give us interview feedback. And if you haven't done it, we run the risk of losing your candidate. So we have to keep things going. And the fact that they know that they can reach out and be firm, polite, firm in setting those expectations. And they know that if I get a phone call about that, I'm going to say yes, and they're right for doing it. They're doing what I've asked them to do. It has made us really strong within our organization. We have a really strong sense of camaraderie amongst our talent acquisition team, our hiring team members. They know what we expect, and we know what they expect of us. And that's important.
0: It's a two-way street.
1: Sounds like an ideal place to work.
0: Yeah, really, really good insight. Every
1: recruiter would want to work in that. So well done, Corey.
0: I think what we see too, and you mentioned it a couple of times as far as the process and how inefficient that we can be. A lot of companies don't understand what their process is, meaning has a CEO ever applied for a job within your company, right? It's probably bang on an employee, but I guarantee you 99.9% of the company probably not. And they don't realize it took 184 clicks to get through the first phase of my job application, hence the reason that we're losing a lot of candidates. But... This was a lot of fun. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate this report. It gives us content to talk about and really relevant content. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way?
2: To- you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn. And once this podcast goes out, I'll also be sharing links to it and getting it out to my network. Love to hear from folks on there. Send me a message, follow, et cetera. I'm happy to have you on the journey with me.
0: Thanks again, Corey.
1: Thank you, Corey. Thank you. <laughs>